Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at PatientWorthy. And today we're going to be discussing chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, also known as CAR T-cell therapy. It's a relatively new type of immunotherapy that uses certain cells known as T-cells from a patient's immune system to treat certain types of blood cancers. And to help in our discussion today, we have a very special guest. Dr. Robin Stacy Humphreys is a radiologist with Charlotte Radiology in North Carolina. In addition to her years of experience treating cancers, Dr. Stacy Humphreys was treated with CAR T-cell therapy for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in 2016. Dr. Stacy Humphreys, welcome to the show. I am so honored to be here. Thank you, Colby. Thank you. We're very happy to have you on to talk about your experiences and introduce our listeners to this exciting new type of cancer therapy. To start with, can you talk about your background as a radiologist? I actually have grown up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my dream since I was five years old was to become a physician. And luckily, I received a scholarship to Wake Forest University and only went to college three years and immediately graduated and went straight into medical school. From there, I actually did my residency and fellowship after medical school in radiology at Georgetown University Hospital and went into private practice. So I've been practicing medicine for over 30 years. My subspecialty is body imaging and mammography with a side subspecialty of nuclear medicine. And so my focus ironically has actually been cancer diagnosis for my entire career. That means that I read CAT scans, PET CTs, and I do biopsies. So over my career, I've probably read a hundred thousand exams plus, 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 and performed thousands of biopsies myself personally. My job is basically as a cancer specialist, among other things that I diagnosed. And you were diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer, in 2011, and went through a handful of different treatments before CAR T-cell therapy. Can you give us a quick overview of DLBCL as a condition and, and talk about your journey through treatment? Diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is a relatively common lymphoma. It's actually the most common lymphoma in the United States. Uh, but there's many subtypes. It's a very aggressive lymphoma and usually occurs in older patients. But unfortunately, I was diagnosed at the age of 48, which was relatively young. And side note is I was super healthy, no medical problems, exercised all the time. Given my background, I actually diagnosed myself. I was sitting in my living room and I actually noticed I had something called a supraclavicular lymph node on the left, which is a little knot above your collarbone. And in my world, that's always bad. Usually a supraclavicular lymph node is associated with malignancies such as lung cancer, breast cancer, stomach cancer, also ovarian cancer. But unfortunately, when I actually looked at my CAT scan the next day, when I had a friend order it, I got off the CT scanner and I looked at my own scan and saw that I had multiple enlarged lymph nodes in my neck, which I did not feel except for this one. And I knew at that point that I had lymphoma. So that was actually how it came about as far as my journey with lymphoma, uh, which I actually prefer to call an odyssey since it's been a journey almost sounds sort of like fun, like it's vacation, but I know that some people refer the term. But in 2011, I started chemotherapy with R-CHOP 
after having a biopsy and a port and all the standard type of things you had. RTOP is an aggressive chemotherapy, which uses cytoxin and adriamycin, which are very strong therapy agents. And I had six cycles of RTOP in 2011 and actually worked through all of that treatment, having chemotherapy on Friday and going to work on Tuesday. And um, I had all the usual nausea type side effects, but I actually tolerated that very well. And despite the hair loss and all the other subsequent side effects from chemotherapy, I did really well. And I was declared in remission four months after starting it. And I went on with my life for four years. I was in remission four years. I returned to work full time and actually did a lot of great things. And then unfortunately in 2015, Similar to 2011, I was walking in my backyard and I noticed I had a lymph node in my neck that I had not noticed before. It was my posterior neck. And within about a week, this lymph node had actually been surgically removed. And unfortunately, I had diffuse large B cell again. And this time it actually was a different subtype, but that's a side note. And so subsequently from that, I actually had to have an aggressive inpatient chemotherapy called R-ICE, which results in a lot of bad problems, usually low blood counts, nausea, vomiting, little confusion for a lot of people. And then I actually had to have chemotherapy in my spine to treat possible metastasis in my brain and went in to another academic institution for an autologous stem cell transplant, which means it's a transplant using my own cells. And then they put you in the hospital and they completely ablate your bone marrow, which is a miserable experience, and then give your marrow cells back and let them engraft. I actually suffered septic shock in the hospital and was extremely ill with uh, very low blood pressure, uh, fevers, 105, confusion, Uh, And I was actually at risk of losing my life at that point after the stem cell transplant, but made it home. And then after I made it home, I actually had to have head and neck radiation as a consolidative type therapy, which meant that I couldn't eat solid food for about six months. The net effect after the stem cell transplant and the uh, head and neck radiation is I went from a normal BMI of 22 to a BMI of about 15. And although it was like the only time in my life I've ever had a thigh gap, it was uh, not a good look. And I was absolutely miserable, but I was able to keep working about three months after the treatment. And I was just recovering when nine months after the stem cell transplant, I found out again within a large lymph node in my neck that my cancer had returned for a third time. And this time it was not only in my neck, it was in my left armpit and my right groin. So We get up to 2015 and life is not good because I'm actually multi-ethnic. I do not or did not have a match for an allogeneic stem cell transplant, which is a transplant where they actually take somebody else's bone marrow and give it to you. I did not have a match for that. I only had a match with my one biologic son who was only a half match. So my chance of actual cure with an allogeneic stem cell transplant was only 30%. And given that I almost died from the autologous transplant, which is not as severe, I knew I had to do something else. And so this is where I actually became acquainted with CAR-T therapy. As previously mentioned, CAR-T cell therapy is relatively new. Um, It is currently approved here in the U.S. to treat 
certain types of cancer. So how did you get introduced to CAR T cell therapy after those previous treatments? Because I had had a difficult time with the stem cell transplant, I had actually been doing some research on Google. This was not something special that only doctors can do. I looked under clinical trials for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, uh, relapsing, and also for uh, refractory, relapsing and refractory. This was the terms I looked under. And I found some articles that were published online about some clinical trials using CAR T-cell therapy. And CAR T-cell therapy is fascinating because it actually takes the patient's own T-cells out and genetically alters them using a retrovirus. And the virus inserts a protein into the T-cells, which matches the protein on the cancer. So that when the T-cells are reinserted into the patient's body, they explode the cancer, sort of like a heat-seeking missile. And that's sort of a summary of how it works, but they had some trials online and there was a phase one trial with 26 patients and 12 had survived and had gone into remission for over a year. And I discovered this trial and frantically began searching for other CAR T-cell trials because I had a feeling that this was the trial for me. And the site I used, and many people on this website know this, clinicaltrials.gov, my husband and I both went on this site and looked for every clinical trial for CAR T-cell in the United States and Europe. And at that point in 2016, there were not many, but where there were, we actually emailed everyone to try to find a space in one of these trials. And that is how I initially became acquainted with CAR T-cell therapy. And almost miraculously, a space opened up in a different state, Ohio State, a space opened up. And I immediately flew to that state after I talked to the trial investigator and was evaluated. I brought my slides. I brought my records, was approved for this trial and signed up that day. Can you talk about the differences between CAR T-cell and your experiences with the treatments you had undergone previously? I've actually done some lectures in the community and the current cancer therapy that we have is the best we have. But like many things in science, things change. Let's just face it. A long time ago, we used to use leeches and use mercury on children's gums when their teeth hurt. So we've had a lot of advances. So currently the only treatment for cancer is either to cut it out, to poison it, or to burn it. Uh, it's rather medieval if you really think about it. But CAR T-cell therapy is so wonderful because it actually takes the patient's own immune system out and just alters it. Uh, in this case, it's with genetic therapy, but there's actually some other uh, treatments to the T-cell to sort of rev them up to go in and attack the cancer. So the therapy I've had before, and Lord knows I've had 16 different chemos and radiation and all sorts of different things was standard. I'm very thankful for those therapies because it saved my life but it was barbaric. CAR T therapy, I think is the wave of the future. And this is the way that I think most cancers will be treated maybe 20 years from now, where you use your own immune system or alter your whole metabolic response to treat the therapy as opposed to using poisons like adriamycin. And so what was the outcome of CAR T cell therapy? I know you're in, you're in remission. Um, what was your experience like after you received the therapy? What was so wonderful about CAR T-cell therapy is that the therapy is sort of a one-shot deal. They do give you some chemotherapy ahead of time, which is sort of chemotherapy light to decrease 
your lymphocytes so that the T cells, which are a form of lymphocytes can expand. So I received a low dose chemotherapy one day, and then I went in for the CAR T cell therapy infusion, which lasted all of 10 minutes, the T cells. And I had about 600 million of them were infused in a 10 minute period. And that was sort of it. That was the infusion. And the question was, is whether this therapy would actually work or not. And in this case, within 24 hours, the lymph nodes that I had growing in my neck and in my left armpit and my right groin started melting. And you could actually feel them going down. They actually got a little sore. And three days later, they were really, really hardly even palpable. And by five days, they were mostly gone. But at five days, I actually developed a fever and my blood pressure got low, which is called something called the cytokine release syndrome, which is associated with CAR T cell therapy. And with cytokine release syndrome, it's like a reaction of your body to the CAR T cell. So I was admitted to the hospital on days five to eight when they gave me some fluids and gave me some medicine for my fever, but then I was sent home. And 30 days after the CAR T cell therapy, all my lymph nodes were gone. I was in clinical remission and I went back to work, albeit part-time and I felt pretty tired, but versus when I had a stem cell transplant, I, I couldn't eat solid food. I was at home. I could barely walk around the block. I had no hair. I looked like uh, some type of famine victim. And it was uh, just so awful. Meanwhile, the CAR T cell therapy, I really looked like a normal human being. And yes, I did have a therapy. I didn't feel totally normal. I felt tired, yeah, a little bit off, but I was able to work. I mean, what a, what a miracle in so many ways. And I know I had a great response and some people don't have the same response, but a lot of people do. Uh, so I really think this is the treatment of the future. 30 days though, that is absolutely amazing. You spoke a moment ago about the current standards for cancer treatment, you know, chemo, radiation, surgery. Is CAR-T something that is widely available at the moment? CAR-T cell therapy is approved in both the United States, the EU, Australia, and New Zealand. Finally, it took a while there for blood cancers. In 2017, CAR T cell was approved for acute lymphocytic leukemia in children in the United States. In 2018, it was approved for diffuse large B cell lymphoma in the United States. And in 2019, it was approved for mantle cell lymphoma. And also about the same time, one form of multiple myeloma, maybe that was 2020. The EU approved these treatments in 2019, 2020. And I think in Australia just approved them. So it is available to patients with blood cancers. But the really, really great thing is that CAR T cell therapy is now being used in clinical trials for solid tumors as well and shown some success. Obviously, this is early. But to give you an example, in the trials that are now being used with CAR T include abnormalities such as sarcoma breast cancer, particularly HER2 positive breast cancer, neuroblastoma, uh, hepatoma, testicular cancers, uh, glioblastoma multiforme is actually uh, in trial. It's shown some success. And there has even been trials for pancreatic cancer. I don't think it's been as successful, but they're trying. So there's so much future for this and a lot of it is in trial. So if you go on the www.clinicaltrials.gov site, it's amazing how many trials are even going on for CAR T cell now. 
The answer to your question is yes, it's available in the United States, FDA approved for blood cancer and in trial for many, many, many other tumors. Let's turn to the underlying condition uh, for a minute, uh, because we'd like to, to help make connections on, on right. the podcast here. What advice do you have for someone who is newly diagnosed with DLBCL? For anyone who's diagnosed with an aggressive lymphoma, or I have to admit all rare cancers for sure, you really should see your local oncologist and that's great, but you should actually go on and get a opinion from a tertiary care center. At this point, the tertiary care centers can often offer things such as special pathology and subtyping. Just for example, in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, when I was diagnosed in 2011, there was not much subtyping present. There was only about three or four subtypes. And now there are multiple, including something called double hit and triple hit lymphomas, which need to be treated differently than your standard lymphoma. Often the rural hospitals don't have the pathology or the equipment available to make the diagnosis. So once you are diagnosed with diffuse large B cell, certainly talk to the doctors. You can even start treatment locally. And this is true for rare cancers as well, but consider getting another opinion at some point. I, I do recommend that. And as a physician and other physicians, we don't mind it if you get a second opinion. It doesn't hurt our feelings. And that's part of science. What are some ways that friends and family can be supportive of someone with this condition, a DLBCL or another type of rare cancer? <laughs> Friends and family are so key in the support of anybody who has any type of cancer. When I was first diagnosed, my friends and family actually started a meal train and sent me cards and those things. And I highly recommend that. It's just so important. And what else can friends and family members do? Certainly be there to talk to people and you know, be able to go to the hospital, take people to chemotherapy, just sort of listen to the patient's vent. But if this is a rare cancer support group, and I will say that when I was in a situation where I had six months to live and I had no real choices, my husband was key in the fact that he got online and personally emailed, called other researchers. He did his own research because you really have to be your own advocate at that point. No matter how wonderful your oncologist or your oncologist team is, they are human beings. They only have so much time per day. They only have so much time per patient and nobody's going to care about you as much as you do. So friends and family can help in all of those different ways. And if someone wants to learn more about DLBCL or is looking for support, what resources are available? For any type of blood cancer, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is amazing. They have great resources. They often have nurse navigators that can help people navigate to get second opinions or even clinical trials. Also, if you have lymphoma, Lymphoma Research Foundation totally focuses on lymphoma, and that is fabulous. For people who have rare disease, I, I have to admit the internet is one of the best things in the world. There are organizations that are just for neuroblastoma or melanoma, sarcoma, etc. And they can often help you and have nurse navigators guide you through some of this process to try to get the best treatment and get the best survival rate that you can. People ask me what I would like to tell people having gone through this cancer odyssey that I've been through. And there are many different points I would like to express. First and foremostly, I want to tell people to be their own advocate. If you're listening to this program, you're already your own advocate. 
doctors, again, are human. Nobody is perfect. And you really need to do your research. And this is possible on Google and sites like clinicaltrials.gov to do it on your own. So I highly recommend that. Also, I would say stay positive and do everything you can to try to stay healthy, which could include exercise, doing positive things, trying to eat well, but I would say stay away from any fads, any extreme diets or odd hoaxes. I think people can get sucked into buying into some unusual treatments just because they're desperate for a solution. And I really caution against that, even though I totally understand the feeling. I would certainly have loved to be able to to change my diet to cure my cancer, but that's just not the way it works. But I really think the most thing is, is just to not give up. Don't give up. I'm a big Winston Churchill fan. Never, never, never give up. I feel that way. My family has felt that way. And I really think this has helped me survive. And the last thing I like to tell people is that it's really ironic that I went into medicine because I wanted to help people. I've spent my entire life dedicated to patients. I've read hundreds of thousands of films, done thousands of thousands of biopsies, but my biggest contribution to medicine probably has not been as a doctor, but as a patient. And Dr. Stacey Humphreys, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show to tell us about your experiences. I think you offered a lot of great advice and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you and everything you do for people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And if you'd like to learn more about clinical trials in the United States and abroad as well, you can check out clinicaltrials.gov. And we'll leave a link to that website in the show notes for this episode. Remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for patientworthy on those platforms. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It may seem like a small thing, but a review or rating really does go a long way toward helping us out. Finally, if you have any questions about the podcast or perhaps an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to colby at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Dr. Stacey Humphreys for joining us on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>